visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's Gift Shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, radio for the imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, radio for the imagination. Thanks for listening to the show that celebrates creating and stories. I am so excited to be with you here today and ready to tune our imaginations and think about uh, think about the world. And at this busy time, sometimes it's easy to get centered on uh, what's happening, but it's it's important time as well to think about others. And so I'm going to start off with a story about my pen pal. When I was in Campfire Girls, we were given pen pals, and those pen pals were from Missouri, and my connection was with a girl named Beth, and we wrote long letters to each other. We wrote about our families, school, pets, friends, and our communities, and we continued the correspondence for a few years, and the best thing about those letters was the anticipation of another letter arriving in the mail. Sometimes it was weeks between letters, but there was always so much joy the day that a letter arrived. I also remember being excited to go to the store to pick out cool paper and stickers to use to write to Beth. I felt like I knew her, and best of all, I felt like there was someone who liked the things I liked and loved writing and stories. And I remember in fifth grade we did state projects, and I picked Missouri because of Beth. I think she sent me some tourist brochures for my project, and I probably got to ask her some questions, which was great to to imagine. Uh, Back in the day, we didn't have the internet to go look up all those things, so we had to wait in the mail for some of our materials as well. And I don't really remember why we stopped writing to each other, and I think I have some of her letters down in a memory box, and I think I I would want to go back and reread those because I think if I found them I would get lost for hours it would be fun to try to piece together our young girl lives back together I of course would only have her letters and so I would have to put the pieces together if she mentioned things that I mentioned and it makes me wonder too if she has the letters that I wrote because I would love to see someday my fifth grade self and fourth grade self and maybe even third grade self what I was thinking and I wonder what I would learn about her and what I would discover about what I shared with her. You know, I, I mentioned my pen pal Beth to my son the other day, and I'm certain he thought that that was so strange. He just looked at me like, you have to wait for somebody to answer you? And he felt like it probably I was like living in the pioneer days or something in another century. He just jumps on an app or his gaming computer, and he can instantly check in with one of his online buddies that he plays games with. And there's a few that he's stayed connected with for for over the years. And I wonder if he'll stay in touch again 
maybe after, or maybe I'll always be gaming. I don't know. Um, I wonder what changes when you can hear someone's voice or reach them in a heartbeat or spend hours together. But then again, there's, you're not really face to face. So I think about how that affects that relationship. But maybe what we all need is a way to connect with someone not like us, someone who isn't in our daily world, someone who can get to know us in a new way. And that is really, uh, I think, um, what the, what pen pals can do. And I kind of wish more kids had pen pals like the old fashioned way again. And so we'll see if maybe that comes around that they miss the, getting the letters and uh, writing, or maybe I'm just being nostalgic. But today on Arts Any Radio, we'll discover a pen pal relationship that takes us across continents into two very different cultures and worlds. This is an amazing connection that will show us how kids can lead the way to make the world better, how kids can remind us that a problem is just a call for imagination and persistence, and how we need to understand that life is water. This is a story that leads us to hope for a better world. And I'm going to turn on my mics and welcome Mary Blackwell to Art Saney Radio. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me today, Paula. It, that introduction was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I had so much fun with that pen pal relationship. And I, I wish I, I, and I knew how many years we did it. And it didn't go on for very long. Um, or maybe three, which maybe is a lot in a kid's life. So it would be fun to go back and see what that was all about. But you're here to talk about your new novel, called Fetching Dreams, which got me to thinking about my old pen pal. So thank you for that. It's really an engaging and touching tale of two girls, as I mentioned, from two continents and different cultures that come together and they form this common person, purpose to make a difference. You can learn more about Mary through a website, Mary Blackwell. Blackwell is B-L-E-C-K-W-E-H-L.com, MaryBlackwell.com. And this book is about quiet and shy Niea, who lives in a rural African village and longs for more time in school, but spends most days fetching filthy water for her family to survive. Bold and boisterous, Abby lives comfortably in a modern city and spends much of her time planning her social calendar, despite their differences and unlikely friendship forms. And they discover they have one thing very much in common. Their lives are tragically threatened by something they can't control. Or maybe they can. And Mary, if you've listened to Arts Any Radio, has uh, been a wonderful guest on this show. And we've talked about uh, most of your books. And I'm so excited yes. because you have four picture books. If, if folks don't know them, you can, I'm sure, check out some of the local bookstores. They have them. Uh, Henry, You're Late Again. And Henry, You're Hungry Again. My kids grew up on Henry, You're Late Again and just absolutely love that book. Claire's Hair, A Tale of Hair, Heart, and Humor, which is, I think, some of the illustrations in that book are <laughs> some of the best. <laughs> True. They're spectacular. And your new one, which is Arg, I, I hope I said that right. Arg, like a pirate. Like a pirate. He, me hate to wait. And it's got the most adorable pig pirate. Um, she is pretty fantastic on the cover of that book. So if you're looking for a gift for someone on the holidays who's a little bit younger, that is a perfect one. You've also got the uh, birthday cookbook and a series called Awesome Disgusting Career Series, which I am sure there are lots <laughs> of kids out there that would love to read about those things. <laughs> the the both photos and the graphics in them are, you know, uh, some, some kind of yucky illustrations and photos, but uh, they tell the story of real important, real jobs and careers that kids like to learn about. 
I, yes, I remember do, be going through that phase too, but it's, it's just curiosity. And I think that they can actually help us to be curious about those things, yes. which these characters do in this book. Um, they um, really do help us to see the world anew. And, um, you know, I'm just so excited that you're back in the studio. It's been a few years. Did you ever have a pen pal? You know, as you told that story, I was really thinking about that. I don't recall having a pen pal. I do recall um, having, and this isn't quite the same because usually pen pals are people living in a different area that you, you didn't know before and mm-hmm. so on. I do recall, and again, just like in my book, Fetching Dreams, where the, it, is, it is a school assignment that brings those two girls to start writing to one another. I do recall, I think in about fourth or fifth grade, where, where uh, we were writing to someone else in the school another student, you know, another class. Oh, okay. And we were just getting to know them, and, and, and um, I'm sure the whole purpose of it on the part of the teacher, right, was was to develop uh, communication skills and to improve our writing skills. Practice your writing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and your, yeah, probably your sentences and punctuation and all those uh, capital letters mm-hmm. and all those As well things. as, of course, you know, to learn a little bit of something about uh, this other person that you're writing to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a such a good experience, and like you said, it, it started with a school s- assignment. But the relationship between Nia and Abby became so much more. How did you develop their characters and just dis- you know make decisions about where those characters were going to be from, and uh, you know, and also I'm thinking about you entering their world because not only did you have to enter um, a different culture in the case of Nia, but you had to. Um, you know, enter a whole nother, you know, foreign experience for right. you. Um, and one that I wasn't a part of, especially uh, Nia, who lives in a village in Kenya, western Kenya, mm-hmm. which is on the east coast of Africa. So you asked first about the development of the characters. Um, in general, when I am writing, even though I have uh, a outline in my mind about where the story is going, I do find that, that once I start conversations and uh, get into you know other experiences that they the experiences that they have that the story and the character development kind of just takes the life of on of its own Um, but relative to the the point that you make about you know these two girls one is from Minnesota Um, so I kind of have a feel for her experiences right and they're they're 13 when they when the book opens too so you have to get back into the mindset (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, but the other one certainly isn't uh, living in an area of or having experiences that I ever had and so um, this is where it becomes really important especially these days to make sure that even though this is fiction that you're making it as authentic as possible. And so I had a lot of help. Um, and it, this was probably the most fun part of the writing of this is, you know, writing is, is pretty much a, uh, a lonely experience. You're sitting in your, in, in my case, in uh, my office at home. Mm-hmm. And sure, you can go on the internet and whatnot to find information. And, and I did some of that too. But I, my husband and I had an opportunity to go to Africa, not to Kenya, b- which is the setting of my book, but to Tanzania, which is just south of there. And mm. for the most part, the weather, the conditions um, of which I speak about in the book are similar. 
So I had an opportunity to see young children um, walking sometimes barefoot or in pretty thin leather sandals to water holes with their cattle, with their jerry cans and their buckets, dipping water that looked not clean to me <laughs> out and um, carrying it back to wherever they lived. I also got had an opportunity to speak to many people, some who now live in, in Minnesota, but are native Kenyans. And, and these are women and girls. One of them was a North, uh, an exchange student mm. in Northfield, but was from Tanzania. And in fact, I'm sitting across here in, at Kim Radio, across from our library. I met with Wanzita Alley, who was a, again, a Northfield exchange student from Tanzania. I met her at the library. We talked about her experiences growing up. And from the age of six, she was going before and after school to, oh. to fetch water. She then had to walk five miles to school. She lived in a, a thatch-roofed hut, much the same as my characters in my book. And so these conversations of people living today and mm -hmm. living this experience or having had the experience. Another was a St. Louis teacher who grew up in Kenya and she uh, experienced much the, s the same. Her family in Kenya, need the need for water meant that she had to go to the stream and, and they did know about boiling water and so they, they did that. These conversations of people who did have that experience um, are part of what made the story, mm. I hope, mm -hmm. at least more authentic. Yeah, that's, and, and I would bet just those conversations alone would be, you know, something that most of us don't get to even hear from somebody who lived that experience and then to um, th which really helps bring your uh, the authenticity through in the story. And in some ways, it's almost like this is unbelievable that this is happening because this is present day. This is not set, you know, back in years ago. This is set in the time when uh, Justin Bieber was, <laughs> uh, you know, doing a tour. And <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. And, and Justin Bieber is mentioned a few times in it. Uh, not, of course, on the part of the Kenyan girl. No. But, um, and... Um, I, I do think that that is hard. It's hard for me as an adult, but I can't imagine as a um, middle schooler who I, this is the target audience for this book, um, for a student to be reading it and realizing that this isn't something, I'm not reading something from 100 years ago. Yes. Um, this is something that happens every day today in developing countries and women and and children and especially girls uh, traditionally and through their culture is it's it's pretty much their job to help with this great need everybody needs water mm -hmm. other cattle the, their families need water to to drink to cook with to bathe with clean with and it is happening today yeah, and, and uh, for uh, Niea, her trip was six kilometers, right? Is, did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is how many miles? I forgot to look that up. Yes, it's about uh, six kilometers is about three point, a little close to, to four miles. That's a long walk. I well, mean, it takes time. And, and, and you're, you have your um, jug, which they call the... The, the jerry can. Jerry can, um, yeah. If, if you are not familiar with that term, because I was not when I started researching this, 
the jerry can is you know if you picture your um like for mowing the lawn your gasoline mm -hmm. tank that you fill the, the lawnmower with it's kind of that shape um and it's this hard durable plastic and the reason that they use it is because of its durability, but also it's it's not as heavy as like a clay pot, sure. which some um, women do still use. And it's also, if you drop it, it <laughs> hopefully <laughs> won't crack the way a clay pot would. And the name came from, it's, this is kind of an interesting fact, uh, in World War II, the Germans used a fuel tank that was very durable. And um, other uh, countries who were involved in the war kind of found out that this was a good um, fuel container that mm. didn't break. And start they also started using it. And the reason it's called a jerry can is because I, I understand the, the Germans were, I hope I have this, this fact right, the Germans were, uh, were referred to as the jerrys. And so it was oh. the German's can or the Jerry can. I didn't and know that, that. That term still is kind of stuck today. Uh, that's fascinating. And then you think about too, when you fill this Jerry can with water, how heavy that must be. You know, just just having a watering can that you you know do your on your garden patio weighs a lot, and these are bigger than that. And then you add mm -hmm. to that fact that you've got young girls often, you know, the ones in the family who are carrying them. And sometimes they can be, I think you mentioned in here, like a third of their weight today, or maybe half yeah, their well, weight. Well, um, depending upon how much they weigh or how young they are or old they are, um, the jerry can, as I understand it, kind of the, um, the typical size, the five-gallon size, weighs, with nothing in it, 10 pounds. Oh, so and, it is very and durable. And when it's full, it is 40 pounds. Oof. And so, again, depending upon how how young they are yeah. and and um, because of their diet they aren't there's not a whole lot to them mm -hmm. so there are a lot of problems with as you can imagine if you're carrying this on mm. on their head which or on their back either way that a lot of the um, physical structure of their body is strained and when it's on their head they kind of feel like they're head is kind of sinking into their their body mm -hmm. their neck uh, they're having a lot of, of I just get sore thinking about that mm -hmm. and that's going on today in the world somewhere and and, the, and one of the other heartbreaking things is um, both you and I share this we loved school and I mean I loved school I hated when I was sick and I had and which sounds kind of strange but um and I would always ask oh I shouldn't even admit this I would ask teachers for like more things to do <laughs> <laughs> we are students, Paul. We love, of course, I was a teacher, and I loved. I've pretty much spent my entire life in school from age five on. I loved school. I would never admit to my mother that I didn't feel good in the morning. I thought, oh, you know, I can still go. I'll, I'll get to feel better. Yeah, not a good idea, by the way, listeners. We know better now. Yes, um, but but it's true. And, but and that's that's one of the things in the book that was really heartbreaking is because she has this task and sometimes it required you know multiple trips to this water source it, 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 water hole it, is yeah what I call maybe it. a better mm -hmm. better term because or river yeah exactly um and so so there's a lot of details about how girls aren't able to be at school all the time i mean think think there's points where um she's maybe going once a week or an afternoon 
and um, but her brothers get to go and so even the ratio of students in the school was you know I, I don't remember the exact number but it was you know just a small pocket of girls and mostly boys um, so that's sort of also you know really hard to imagine um, but she loved learning and you know she wanted to become a doctor and she knew because she wanted to help heal the people in her community and take care of people because she was really good at that. And it really seemed like this impossible dream. Uh, yes, and you know, Nia is the main character. She is the girl, the pen pal girl, who writes to Abby in Minnesota. And she is a very, uh, I don't know so much a shy, but a very quiet girl. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout the story, she becomes quite inspired by not only uh, her pen pal in Minnesota's encouragement to speak up and for herself and to persist and to use her good writing skills to um, make sure people know what her thoughts and her feelings and her dreams are, but also she was inspired by her grandmother, who she calls Bibi. It is the Swahili word for grandmother, um, she is inspired by one of her local friends, Malika, mm-hmm. who is kind of feisty and is definitely not quiet. <laughs> so she has these sources of inspiration to speak up, and that's kind of a thread throughout the book, that her, her, her development and her change from being this quiet girl um, to using her voice and to not only speak up on behalf of herself and her own dreams, but also, but maybe more importantly, for her entire village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is uh, certainly an aspect that comes through that's really wonderful. And it starts, I think, if I remember correctly, because they're writing back and forth, and um, Abby mentioned a shower, I think. Um, and I, I think that they eventually got onto the conversation about... Uh, Nia asked, what color is your water? And, and uh, you know, Abby, I think, was, I can imagine, you know, a teenager back in, in rural Minnesota or southern Minnesota or wherever, I guess you don't say where, where there's a town, but it's an imaginary town. Um, and, you know, she's, like, really puzzled by this. And that's how water becomes part of their conversation and then she learns that she has to carry the water and you can see through the letters that that you reveal in the story which are great because they each have a very distinct you know pattern and and um identity for for each of the girls um that you know this this is very that both worlds are very strange to each other yes and they learn so much just through these letters and you know it's it's a writing back and forth it's a two-way thing and you'll in the course of the story they i don't want to give too much away but um (laughs) they they certainly get inspiration from each other they're learning about a world that they knew nothing about um as you paul already indicated about the, the shower she says what's what's a shower right um but it isn't just that Abby is learning information about the daily life and experiences and hardships of Nia. She's learning because because Abby is a very uh, sh- she lives in a comfortable world, m- much as I do here. Um, but she is learning that maybe there's 
something that I can think about beyond my own world. Mm-hmm. She, she kind of is a little somewhat of a self-centered person. Part of it is just her age and her, her traditions and her own family situation. But she is learning that, wow, you know, maybe there's something I can do. And likewise, um, Nyea in Kenya is learning that, oh, you know, maybe she's right, that maybe I should be speaking up and doing something and not just kind of, um, not that she was a whiner, but uh, maybe there's something I can do. So they are, through this shared experience of writing, um, they are both growing. Yeah, and I, I love that in this story, that they um, are open to that. And the I think Abby's, you know, um, inquisitiveness and um, sort of just had that mentality like, well, we'll fix that then. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> in Minnesota, you're over there, but I can still fix this. And so she's very um, tenacious, and, and that's a really great quality. Um, and, and, you know, the other person that inspired her, I, I'm certain, was her teacher, who um, would send homework home with her brothers and would, you know, come and visit during some of the times when they were off and um, just... It really, he knew science was her thing and lit her up. And so at one point he was able to, you know, procure a microscope. I think he got it from a friend when he mm-hmm. went to Egypt or, I mean, it was like a really, they had one microscope for the whole school and they got to see what water looked like under a slide. And yes, that and was a, a moment that changed everything. <laughs> yes. Um, if you can imagine, you know, you're looking for the first time through this, magic glass right Mm -hmm. to see the microbes and the little bugs that are in this filthy water and knowing that they're drinking it and then the explanation by mr solly who is the teacher (laughs) the science teacher or their their one and only teacher but he was in a science lesson describing the consequences of drinking water um meaning illness and Mm -hmm. disease and so on and the children in the school were very familiar with friends, relatives, classmates um, dying. It was, it was kind of part or, of their life. Or suffering from, you know, being exposed to some of those, uh, what did he call them, bad bac- bacteria? I can't remember the phrase he used in yeah. there. but The bad ones. And, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 of course, the children knew about the deaths. What they didn't know up until that time was the correlation mm. with the water that they're carrying. Mm-hmm. And so it became um, very much a personal thing from that point on, not only for Nia, but for her classmates as well. Yeah, and so they um, kind of try and figure out, but change is hard. And that that's true across all worlds. <laughs> that is yes. a universal principle. And not everybody is excited to change or understands why or what it is. or um, So that becomes uh, a mechanism. And I, I think probably led you to learn a lot more about water in the world and, you know, it, how... It's like like we're just amazed, right, that, that it's happening still today in, in our world, that there are many, many families that are, don't have access to, you know, quality water. Right. Um, there are about 7, 8 point, excuse me, 7.8 billion people in the world. And uh, according to the United Nations figures, 
um, over two billion of them don't have access to clean water, which in their their definition of that is if someone doesn't have at least um, 50 to 100 liters of water within a thousand meters of their home and doesn't have to spend more than a half an hour getting it, and um, and of course. Paul, right? You and I, we get up in the morning, we turn that faucet on without a second thought. Um, we, uh, we have all these conveniences and Americans use, depending upon, I guess, how long your shower is in the morning, <laughs> 50 to 100 gallons uh, a day. Each oh, of so us. Let's think about that. How much did that, um, Jerry, is that what it was called? The, the Jerry Canton? Yeah. How um, much did that hold? That holds 40 gallons, excuse me, it's, it's a, a five gallon um, so we would need 10 yes, of those. Yes, and it, it, it weighs 40 pounds. I was getting my numbers mixed up there. If we were to actually, you know, to use that knowing what we were using and being aware of what we were using. So that's something to think about. Um, yeah. It's very different than the rest of the world. And that learning about that, that other world was also, I thought you were, it was so rich in details and so many um, pieces of their life. Every, I, I love the part about the food, and so I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about... I, I said in my mind, Ugali. Is that how it's said? I, I'm not positive. It's, uh, it's either Ugali or Ugali, okay. spelled U-G-A-L-I. It is a staple of, of uh, meals and uh, nutrition. Have you in, ever tasted it? Um, well, I actually, I did, and, and I'll... Um, it, it is, first of all, I'll explain what it is, and then I'll tell you where I got a chance to taste yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it, it is it is simply made from water and cornmeal, crushed cornmeal. Um, the where I got to taste it is, you know, earlier I mentioned that I had a lot of help with making sure that the story had um, a lot of authenticity in it. And one of the, the, the teacher from St. Louis Park, who grew up, uh, spent most of her life in Kenya, walking for water and, e- and eating ugali or however it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. She invited. We, we had a connection through um, her school. I had done a, an author visit at her school, and she knew of me, and she was contacting me regarding um, getting some books. And then when she found out I was writing this story, she said, oh, my goodness, I grew up. You need to come up to my house, and I'm going to fix you an authentic Kenyan meal. Oh, wow. And part of it was Ugali. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a... Um, um, Thick porridge, kind of. Is a it like polenta or yeah, malta meal? Yes. Or and and if you could, um, because unlike us, you know, we use our our, our forks and our, our <laughs> utensils to eat. Um, they don't so much, and so it's kind of something you could almost uh, roll into a little ball and put into your mouth. So yes, okay. um, it has, it's pretty thick. Um, and it just it's it's pretty bland, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, my Norwegian tongue probably likes bland, <laughs> um, but um, even for me, yeah. Know, and I thought uh, w- one thing that was interesting was there was one day when there was some beef jerky to be had, and uh, she, uh, she got to sprinkle some on her, and I can imagine that would have just been like heaven, right? If right. you're used to the bland, at least yeah. you've got some... A little treat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what it is. And again, it's pretty much a staple. They they um, they grow their own corn, and then they can they crush that. 
um, and make it, you know, cornmeal and then add this water that's being fetched to it. And that's a pretty much a staple. Sometimes um, if they have other vegetables that they grow, beans, onions, that kind of thing to flavor it with, they'll put mm. that in it. And as you mentioned, the special treat would be if... Um, um, b uh, little chunks of beef jerky or something would be either purchased from the marketplace or um, if there's in the village someone has butchered a, 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 a cow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so th there's um, all these li daily life details, and so you really do get to like live the patterns of this family because a majority of the book is um, about that that family and um, Nia's experience. And you mentioned her grandmother, um, who she called Bibi, who I just, I adored that character. <laughs> I thought she was um, such a good observer of the family. You, you can just envision that she was elderly and, and a little frail, losing her sight and um, kind of sat on a, a stump most of the day. And um, she required help going to the, the bathroom. So people were often hauling her and helping her with that. Um, but she had her own powerful story. And I love how she helps um, Nia process the way her father sees the world, who is, you know, very traditional. It follows the culture and believes that he knows, you know, probably because of the position that men are given in the, the culture. Um, you know, and he does not believe he get, he is sick in the book I think that happens pretty fairly early um, so we can know that um, th that that's going on but he doesn't believe that it's water even though you know she, she's learned this fact from school and wants to make him better she suggests it but it does not go over the way when she speaks up like she's been asked to um, yes and I think that Bibi um, the grandmother does uh, a nice job especially considering her generation mm -hmm. um, and having had that same responsibility of fetching water she she is um, kind of forward-thinking and realized that her granddaughter has some dreams for education that um, Nia's father and grandmother didn't have the opportunity for and so she is um, a good kind of go-between, I think, in the story of of helping Nia um, and her father bridge this um, cultural gap. Right. And Which and even though our lives here are, are are different, we have different traditions and so on. We all know about the generation <laughs> gap. Of course. Right. And and change and how. Um, the next generation has different ideas, and it's not always easy to accept that and to um, allow our children to grow into what they want to be. Right, and one of the other things that she brings out that I just loved was um, Nia had been complaining and trying to, you know, uh, just tell her grandmother what, what she was thinking. And, um, you know, but her grandmother's been so patient in telling her about, you know, giving him time and, you know, maybe it's the illness that's making him feel this way and things like that. But there's at one point when um, she's talking about, the grandmother talks about how she had to fetch water six or seven times a day and that she was proud to have that role. 
and that she never attended school at 13 like like she, uh, Nia is allowed to do. And then Nia says, well, how did you get this wise, baby? And why are you always happy? <laughs> <laughs> of course, she has more than one question because she always does. And this was um, the response from the grandmother. First of all, wisdom is not taught in schools, only knowledge, and things change. As a girl, I did not know anything beyond fetching water, but you have learned many possibilities of what you can do for yourself and others. The question is, what will you do with it? And then she adds, I am happy because I want to be happy. <laughs> so again, <laughs> yeah, she's really, um, you know, she, she helps fill that gap. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I and I like too because just because it's different, there might be elements of the what the way it was that if you're making a change, you need to kind of reflect and honor and you know work with people to you know not make them feel bad about their 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 beliefs and their ways. Right, and and that's um, always kind of a, a tricky mm. thing. Uh, to navigate in a story like this, too, to honor uh, traditions and cultures. And and it's even mentioned by the American girl, Abby, in her letters um, that um, she, she says uh, when she is not understanding some of the, the uh, experiences that um, Nia has, she says, but my teacher says that, you know, things are not always the same everywhere. <laughs> and And it's... Yes, that, that is true. Yeah, it's amazing how um, everybody's teaching in, in this. And there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many layers to this book that, that, that we could, you know, talk about. And, um, you know, I love how they, in their letters, they end, end their letters, your turn is how they, they, that's always at the last line. But then there's often postscripts when they learn about what those are. And um, we, but we learn words too, like Asante. I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Which yes. means thank you, mm-hmm. and friend uh, Rafiki. Mm-hmm. That's how I yes. I said Rafiki, it in my that's, mind. That's how I say it too. Yeah, whether it, I'm right or not, I'm not sure. But and <laughs> I, I love the way you you weave all of that in to um, give some authenticity and um, you know really just tell us about the, those experiences. And um, they're both curious about each other's worlds. And I, I got to thinking a lot about the dangers in Nia's worlds, uh, which, I, you know, I don't think that we can fully appreciate this walk in the water that she has to get. Um, yes, we mentioned there's illness and death in the community, but this water, you know, in the water, there are crocodiles and there are often people who are, you know, uh, lose a, a foot or, you know, uh, have a reason to have been damaged. There are, of course, bandits on these trails who want which is, just seems like the most horrific thing ever, want to steal the water from people who are, you know, t- making this hike to take it. The, you know, there's cliffs that they sometimes have to go to, lions. I mean, there are other animals. There's so much more. Um, and I was thinking about this as, you know, I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is a scary thing. And yet, as you mentioned, it's kind of a book that's designed for te- tweens to explore mm-hmm the cultural differences and learn about um, some of these, these things. So how did you, you know, manage getting that right? So it wasn't too scary. Mm-hmm. Um, have there been responses from kids who've read it thinking about those dangers in that um, life? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, when 
First of all, I have to mention that I was over at Greenbell School, Greenbell Elementary, right here in Northfield, about uh, probably now about six weeks ago, and the entire class is reading it. Actually, I think their their teachers are reading it as a read aloud, so a oh. cha- couple chapters a day. Right. And uh, that was my first group of students, fifth grade. These are fifth graders, um, where I could ask them their reaction to some, because you're right, there are uh, some scenes in this that are, they're triggers, they're, they're on the violence side, and, you know, you, you want to not recommend a book, you know, to someone, <laughs> to an age group um, where it's, you know, not appropriate. So, um, again, in the interest of authenticity, this is a story where these young girls, young children, women too, are walking on paths that are dangerous, that do have these, uh, you know, hyenas and bandits attacking them and so on. Um, You don't need to, you know, have the whole book uh, be about that, especially when you're writing it for middle school. And, And so when I asked about that, one child said, um, Sadly, I guess. Uh, well, there's a lot worse stuff than that that I watch on TV, <laughs> which doesn't really, um, um, you know, make it all, all okay. But what, what I think um, is important in this, that although it's fiction, um, this, hopefully, I have written this where readers can understand that there are challenges in this world Mm-hmm. that this is going on and why I wrote it is because I wanted to do what a lot of people in these developing countries are not able to do and that is share with other people in the world what's going on you know they don't have access to the internet or to write a book or or to go down in bridge square and and with a sign and make other so I can use my words my story as an author to share this experience, I do want to say this, that I it's being used a lot by adults at book clubs and so on because there's discussion questions in the back. And so although I wouldn't recommend this for, you know, someone under 10, 11 years old yeah, um, because of, of some of the triggers in it, um, I do feel like especially with the support of an, a parent or mm-hmm. in the case of the students over at Greenvale where they have the teachers there, that um, there can be some pretty interesting and important conversations um, about what is going on in the world and more importantly about speaking up and taking action, not necessarily on a heavy topic like this, but just um, in, in within our own daily lives mm-hmm. um, to make a difference and, and improve. Right, and it, it, I mean, like you said, it, it is how people, some people have to experience the world. And it does make us, you know, sort of, we can re- reflect back on, wow, how lucky, how um, fortunate, how, you know, that, that those fears daily aren't um, in, 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 our, in our world. And it can... I think kids are able to process things a little differently. Um, I think that they, they, you know, maybe can take what the the Abby's idea of being problem solvers and um, champions and, yeah, and, and persistent, right? And 
take on some of those qualities and um, they're 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 pretty bright so it's fun to, to have kids experience that but um, you know it's just a piece of the puzzle that folks should know I realize we've been talking I haven't even mentioned so if there's if you're tuning in late you've missed out on our opening and I want to let you know this is Art Zaney Radio for the Imagination I'm Paula Granquist I'm here with Mary Blackwell we're talking about Fetching Dreams which is available everywhere now Uh, Mary Blackwell writes picture books if you've got some younger folks on your list that you want to give a gift to, but also um, this book, which is new and uh, a novel. As you mentioned, I I think for tweens to, you know, all ages, you know, there's there's a lot in in this book that people can talk about and experience that world. Um, We didn't talk as much about Abby, so I thought maybe we should spend a little bit of time. Um, Abby is... Um, just just a, a delightful young woman, something maybe we could all relate to a little bit more because of her experiences will be closer to our experiences. Um, and, you know, she uh, is, I think what I enjoyed was how candid she is in her letters about what her life is. And she's got some problems with her family that she's trying to navigate, um, some school things <laughs> that she's going through, and then some health things. So it you know, um, makes, I think that the, the fact that they're both able to do that makes their, their relationship even more powerful because they're being open with each other in their letters. Yes. And, um, a challenge is a challenge, you know, whether we have, um, what some people might refer to as a little problem, it's, it's our, still our problem Mm -hmm. and it's something that you have to deal with. And uh, make a decision, you know, whether it's something you can control or not. And she, she is someone who is, um, and I, especially at the beginning of the story, I really tried to make her and uh, the two pen pals look and sound very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I, I think we're finding that not only their age, but their humanness comes together in this rather unique bond and uh, it's amazing what they can do together and how they inspire each other so um, I although the the, the uh, main part of the story centers around Nia's situation and lack of water that uh, readers will find um, just how amazing the character of Abby is mm-hmm. and how strong it is in this story. Yeah, I think we'll just l- leave it there because the end is something that I didn't see coming <laughs> and that it's um, it's powerful. And so everyone should have that experience to, to read through. And you're very good at doing that in your writing. I think of, um, you know, planting little things along the way and, you know, having lingering questions for us and uh, things that happen that surprise us and catch us and, you know, make you want to turn the page and uh, know what's happening. So it's 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 one okay. of those books, <laughs> and that's that's something. And, and um, you've been writing now for um, over a decade, and you and also you have over ten books published. Is it eleven now? Yes. yes. That I mean, that is a really great track record. <laughs> well, it's been fun, and um, I I have to say that I really knew nothing, even though. You know, as a parent and as a teacher, I was reading lots and lots of books and just on my own, too, that there is a craft to this. And uh, it's been a real 
real fun run. Um, it is also something that you can do forever, I think, you know, if you have the, in, have the ideas. And, and I have more ideas than I ever would have years to be able to write. Um, but, yeah, nonfiction, fiction um, uh, for younger children and, and older, it's, it's a joy. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's fabulous that you're, you know, doing so many different kinds of writing because then everybody through ages and stages can uh, keep keep up with you. I wonder, I bet you get a lot of questions when you, because you do speak at schools a lot, which is, um, I think, just, it, I, I remember as a kid when an author would come, that was such a big deal. And I think um, back, I think it was first grade, our, my teacher had us write a letter to Beverly Cleary. And that wow. was like so exciting. We didn't. She didn't come to our school, but she wrote a letter back. And I, I still, I, I think that's probably why I fell in love with books. Right, that teacher and uh, Beverly Cleary did that. Right, they. Um, so that connection between the books and the people who wrote it. Yes, right. And so I would bet there's a lot of kids that ask you about writing, and maybe they have stories. And uh, what do you tell young writers, or even you know, uh, writers, writers that are interested in. It, you know, bringing books to life and stories and characters and I go great question. I go to everything from preschools through middle schools, and even with the preschoolers, I tell them that they are. We talk about the role of an author and illustrator and what that means, and and I I, I emphasize that that they're authors. That even when they're drawing stories, that to me life is one big story mm. and and i think that uh i know that not everybody is going to be growing up to be an, a writer an author right in fact i didn't like writing at all when i was in school well, that surprises um, I, me I, um, until oh. i was in high school and i had a great journalism teacher um i, I didn't really see I, you know i wanted to read i loved to read oh. it's just it was a chore <laughs> to write that was actually may, maybe more of it it was it was work and but if to be a writer you had to be a reader too you, you those yes. two have to go together <laughs> so um it is wonderful to go out to these schools i have i have um kids follow me down the hall as I've after I've packed up and I'm going out the door and they're pulling out of their back pocket uh, including boys which is really exciting um, and, and maybe just my assumption that you know more girls like to write and so maybe that's a wrong assumption but they'll pull out from their back pocket this folded up piece of paper of the story and they they wanted me to look at it and tell me what I think of it and it is just precious and so sometimes um, it might be just a very solitary thing that nobody else knows, but they're going to share it with this author because we have something in common. What a privilege, yeah. yeah. And that's so exciting to encourage and, and to be able to be there for that, that moment when they um, you know, are, are ready to put themselves and say something like, you, like you're, you know, the characters in this, these, uh, this book learns. And you do have something coming out that we should all, I mean, this one is, is out now, but I think I saw on your notes that there's more to come, so we yes. can look forward to other stories from you. Next fall, fall of 2024, there are two nonfiction books um, coming from the creative company out of Mankato, actually. Um, they are books in their, what they call their dino series. Oh my goodness, and there's the, so many dinosaur fans. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, I have to say, it was interesting, I don't know why quite they put it in this series, but because, I think it's because these two animals live during the Cretaceous period, which is when the dinosaurs lived and eventually died out. They are, um, one book is called The Mor Mosasaurus, 
And the other, I had to look up how to pronounce it, um, the Quetzalcoatlus. I'm so glad you said those because I saw those <laughs> names on that list and I couldn't. <laughs> um, Mosasaurus was this huge aquatic lizard-like mm. uh, animal. And, and the uh, Quetzalcoatlus, I even have trouble saying that, is um, believed to be the largest flying mm. reptile. Neither one are in the dinosaur family, but again, they lived during the dinosaur era. Um, The research on them was just, I mean, I'm not necessarily a big, you know, dinosaur fan, but when I start researching something, it's just amazing. So uh, you're going to connect with a lot of kids because there, I know there are kids that just, they just go crazy and can recite millions of details to you so you've got to be on your game when you put stuff in (laughs) I'll have to brush up again because I I wrote the the thing about publishing Paula is that um like I wrote these books let's see I finished them in May and then they won't be out until next fall so you know there's this little bit of delay so even like with uh, Fetching Dreams I I I started writing it in 2016 after we came back from Africa and um here it is you know 23 and I once it was actually out, I had to reread it <laughs> because uh, just to familiarize myself with right. some of the, the cycle of, of publishing is is unexpected to people who aren't in that world, and it's surprising. Um, and the pandemic slowed it down. Uh, a couple yes. years there. I do want to say one one thing. Uh, I, I kind of alluded to earlier um, before we kind of wrap things up. I don't know how close we are here. Um, I really do have to. Uh, give shout out and I owe a lot of gratitude to all of the individuals who I did speak to some of them I already mentioned uh, Wanzita who was the exchange student and the the St. Louis teacher but also uh, many people from nonprofits such as World Vision and uh, another organization out of New York City called Charity Water Uh, they have wonderful stories that are experiences of children women uh, and girls who are missing out on educational opportunities because of the time they spent doing very valuable work of providing their family with water. And um, the, the first and primary inspiration for this story was a story that World Vision did in their magazine about a five-year-old girl, Sheru uh, was her name, who had before and after kindergarten um, had to walk with her little teapot and get water and dig down into a mud hole to get water. But I have good news. There's good news in all this. This is a very solvable problem, this water crisis problem. And she uh, today has a water point, which is a water well just right near her home in her village. And so she does not have to miss out on going to school. She still has to walk a couple miles to school each day, but she doesn't have to also walk. Yeah, and I don't think we often make that connection, right, that that getting the water means less school and less opportunity to, you know, uh, just explore what their imaginations can dream up and what their teachers can share with them and connect with other kids. And it's, you know, we love school, so. (laughs) (laughs) You and I. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So this is a fantastic story. And, folks, if you want to learn more, Mary Blackwell's website is Mary Blackwell, B-L-E-C-K-W-E. 
ehl.com. This book is Fetching Dreams. She has many more for um, every age. And I just, it's such an honor to be able to, to visit with you. I just enjoy our conversations and love reading your books. So keep bringing them back because they're so spectacular. Thanks, Paula. It is so wonderful. Folks, this is Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. And I hope that you always remember to add some art zany to your life and of course in the meantime until next time enjoy your imagination you never know where it'll take you or what problem it will help you solve you've been listening to art zany radio for the imagination with your host paula granquist art zany is brought to you each week by the northfield arts guild and by the paradise center for the arts in faribault The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper